divas and green dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning us in, turning us on. We're the Green Divas, Green Diva Meg. And this is Green Diva Lisa. And you're listening to Fifty Shades of Green Divas. And we will hear from G.D. Max and G.D. Ellie later in the show. We're very passionate about the food systems that we're, that are struggling right now and the opportunity that we have right now to make some changes, whether we do it in our personal lives or globally. Yeah, we're foodies. Some of us more than others. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's been an issue that we've talked about on the Green Divas, various shows and formats, yeah. always. It's always been one of our biggest topics. And right now, as it relates to health, safety, and of course, ultimately, the environment greenhouse gases, all of these things? And how do we create a food system that nourishes us, it feeds us, and feeds nourishes, everyone. And nourishes it and feeds the planet. And doesn't destroy the planet, right? So this is what we're kind of talking about this week. We have a really great segment with Max where she we get a chance to speak to Dr. Susan Rubin who I had interviewed when she was Two Angry Moms. <laughs> and she remembered that. She said, well, I interviewed with the Green Diva a long time ago. I'm like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> um, but she's doing some really wonderful work with not only community gardens, but with teaching and getting schools on board and in curriculum, gardening into the curriculum. So I think that's really vital. And then, of course, we talked to G.D. Ellie mm -hmm. Lesson. About, Always an inspiration, by the way. Wow. Anyway, and she's a, a um, drawdown leader. And if you want to know what drawdown is, here, hang on. I'm going to tell you. Uh, drawdown's mission is to help the world reach drawdown, in quotes, the point in the future where levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere stop climbing and start to steadily decline thereby stopping catastrophic climate change as quickly, safely, and equitably as possible. So it's a, it's a growing organization, and they are all about educating people and inspiring people. Well, the whole thing is about solutions. Like, the, 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 here are the practical solutions to the problems. That's and, what they are researching and coming up with, yeah. Right, that's right after they educate us at the, you know, with the information about what's going wrong. And now what can we do about it? So clearly they have done a lot of homework and have specific ideas about agriculture mm -hmm. and feeding everybody in a way that nourishes the planet and uh, doesn't, uh, you know, it nourishes us and the planet. So anyway, that's a great segment, really powerful. And really this whole show is Lisa's fault because she's <laughs> all about the food. She's had to focus on some food changes. Why don't you tell us why 
you want you were inspired to do this well from the beginning i i right before the pandemic started and we got into lockdown um i had finally gotten to a doctor i am old enough for for uh, medicare and i hadn't been i hadn't been to a Whoopee. doctor for so long and i went and had a lot of blood work done and all that stuff and and discovered i actually have lupus i my numbers are very low probably because of the good food i do eat but I had to make some changes and I had to just really rethink how, you know, take, let's get some, let's work on the plant-based diet as much as possible. It's a process. I haven't reduced all, I haven't gotten rid of all the meat in my world, but I've definitely reduced it quite a bit. And it's inspired me to really get busy on the garden because it's that time of year. And the one thing the doctor said to me, he reminded me of the physician's code. I just have to say that we love this guy, Dr. Parvalescu. We've been used, we found him years ago and he's been, he's a really interesting cat. He's an MD, but he's very, very uh, well-versed and believes wholeheartedly in nutritional and and food as remedies. Medicine. As food medicine. as medicine. Yeah. yeah. And so he, he he's often really come across with some great solutions that uh, uh-huh. aren't always easy. So he, he reminded me of the physician's code of first, do no harm, which relates to me personally. It means I've got to get, you know, bottled oils out of my world and a couple of other things. No! I <laughs> know. So, like I said, it's a process. But also in relationship to the planet, let's look at our food systems with the understanding that the first thing we need to do is to do no harm. Right. I just think that the part of that problem, I think if people realize it's harmful, like really understand the harm that we're doing, you tend to stop doing it. But I, I really don't think everybody understands the harm being done Right. in some cases. Right. Just in the news today, I heard about um, they're, they're negotiating this fertilizer, this specific fertilizer, and uh, it had been, the EPA had been, you know, rejecting the use of it. Roundup? No, this is another one. But the point is that now there's discussions about, well, the farmers that have what they have, can they finish using it and all of this stuff? It's affecting our waterways. You know, we're in agricultural land up here in New Jersey, in way north New Jersey, and every little pond that I come across has is blooming like crazy because of the fertilizers oh, that have gotten. Let into me this. be clear: when we tested our water up here in the well, yeah, in the well, which is coming from an aquifer that is running across all the land, the underneath farms, it, and underneath everything. Everything. So that water is so high in nitrates and nitrites, which is indicative of farmland because of all the fertilizers, right? And, you know, they're like, it really doesn't hurt humans, but don't give it to a baby. It doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt adults, but don't give this water to a baby. Right. I was like, what? They turn blue or something really weird. I'm oh like, my what? God. Right. So anyway, I have, I will post a lot of the things that I learned in terms of my diet, because really it's important that we boost our immune systems. And that's, you know, the lupus that I have is an immune uh, deficiency disease. So I'm all about that. So we, you know, look up, find out what anti-inflammatory foods are best to eat and what 
what foods you shouldn't eat for the for inflammation because that's well you're doing a post on all this right i will do a post on all. i know you've probably done all the work already well because you're so organized it's so efficient. I've been spending more time out in the garden than on yeah, the I know. computer. It's I really must... <laughs> like, right now, it's going to get hot today, and all I want to do is go out and finish mulching. My, I'm doing the flower beds. Lisa's doing the veggies. Yeah. I'm helping with the veggies a little bit, but yeah. But these flower beds, my God, we've got a lot of beds to deal with out <laughs> here. Well, well, life in the country. We're really happy to be here, but we're we're learning how to. Yeah, to I just want to go out playing chickens and all the fun things. But we are really excited that um, we get a chance to talk to you and share some cool information, Indeed. important information. So stay tuned. Well, hey, GD Max, how's it going up in the Qua? The quarantine in the Qua. The quarantine in the Qua in Studio Q. That's what we're doing up here. We're trying to uh, hang in like everyone else, and and luckily I'm in a a nice space, so I count my blessings that that I'm 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 in an area where I can look outside, go outside, and enjoy. The, the beauty of Mother Nature, you know. I've, uh, I've been to Studio Q, and she has a beautiful setting up there. So nice. I'm glad that you and Les are safe up in the Qua. I just know that um, in these crazy times, you know, we're, we'll, we're going to all get through this somehow. So, um, and there's just a lot of things that we need to, to focus on and to try to correct. But there's food issues that are going on right now and people are food insecure and it's just a very difficult situation. And one of the things that's been of help now and in the past are community gardens, which now yes, are really a, a pandemic essential, so to speak, because it's it's helping communities, you know, get food. That's that's an important thing right now. Just go into something because I, I, when I thought of community gardens and doing this report, I immediately thought of my mom. There's a community garden that's located uh, in the city, in New York City, at 372 East 8th Street. Coincidentally, that's the address, was the first home of my mom, Ruth Becker Margo, who arrived at that locale in April of 1919. My mom, uh, the amazing queen of effing everything, as we call her, uh, she recently passed into the gardens in the sky at the age of 101. Um, Ruthie. Yeah, she was amazing. Still is. My son calls her Grandma Yoda, so she's always around us. Um, So it's it's very fitting that her life started where the Green Oasis Community Garden now stands in the East Village. She, my mom was an artist, painted scenes of nature all over my house, paintings. I have them here in my house now. She loved to grow veggies, plants, and flowers in her homes in Brooklyn. It was important to be able to grow food, and she would always let me dig in the dirt, in the earth, getting dirty in literal sense. And I would plant seeds for herbs, tomatoes, like anything and everything. Um, she would take me on nature walks in vacant lots to see the milkweed grow. And other weeds and flowers because they seem to survive through anything. And she seemed to survive through everything throughout her lifetime, considering over 100 years on this planet and what she saw 
I mean, it's mind boggling. You can, you know, take hours to go through. So now we're really living in unprecedented times. This coronavirus is wreaking havoc on the world. And now we have protests that are raging against racism and supporting those who need support. And there's shortages of food in many areas of the country. And milk and produce are being dumped. People are waiting on lines for miles to get food at food banks. And it's kind of mind-boggling. We can't connect food that's being dumped to the people who need it. Prices at, at supermarkets have spiked to over rising over 2.6%. And at a time when we have 40 million people, over 40 million people unemployed, over 100,000 people who passed from the the COVID virus. I just had to put that in there. Families cannot put food on the table and it's hard to know where to turn, which is why community gardens have become an important place in the communities. Right um, on. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I don't know what's up in your area. I mean, because it's such a vast area of farms and stuff. I, so I don't know how that relates to the area that you're in in Jersey, but I know there's there's community gardens there, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. In other areas uh, that, that are probably... There's one in Sparta. I almost joined one in Sparta. There you go. Because it's not just... Join one up in... When I lived in Portland, Maine, I, had, I was part of a community garden up there. That's what I'm saying. It's not just cities, although that's where the importance is, I think, in this story. But it's, it, it's urban, suburban, and they're springing up everywhere. And people are learning how to grow things. The citizens get together to work small parcels of land and they create a, a micro food system. Since big ag is failing us now and this virus is really, you know, making people food insecure in so many ways, um, we have to fend for ourselves. And I don't think our leaders are really leading. So it's up to us. So there's a problem, as I said, with food insecurity in many communities, um, again, both urban and rural, and they've increased during this pandemic. So um, Dr. Susan Rubin, who's a healthcare professional, food and garden educator, and environmental activist, talks, you know, told us about how community and school gardens help provide healthy food for families and food pantries. Keep in mind that the economic downturn as a result of COVID-19 has, has literally doubled our unemployment levels. And um, so food insecurity has more than doubled. Um, and one of the things we do with all of the community gardens I work at is more than half of the food we grow goes to local food pantries. And this is really, really important because those who are needing to go to food banks and food pantries are literally at the mercy of the industrial processed food system. They're getting a lot of boxed stuff of questionable nutritional value. They're getting a lot of canned goods. So fresh fruits and vegetables are really, really um, essential. Uh, one of the community gardens I work in becomes a school garden in the fall. And so what we do there is the community gardeners leave as soon as school starts. And then my first graders and third graders, they harvest all the peppers and I, we weigh them and I bring them to the food pantry. Um, this particular school district has 85% free and reduced lunch. So most of those kids, are their families are going to that food pantry, which is a block away from the school. So part of it is, is we're you know reducing the stigma of, of hunger because these kids actually have some real proud ownership of those peppers. 
that they're seeing at the at the food pantry. Um, so I, I I personally feel that all school gardens should be working to bring food to food pantry and that food insecurity and hunger should be addressed in our K through 12 system should be talked about and destigmatized because it is a huge issue already was i mean the, i live in westchester county we already before covid-19 our food insecurity rate was higher than the national average the national average is one out of 5 children are food insecure they don't have enough food Uh, the importance of community gardens is they provide fresh produce, people learn skills to grow, um, they create a welcoming space uh, within the areas of the cities and town to get back to earth. Uh, and they they provide, you know, food that's not processed because in a lot of these communities, it's the bodegas that are the source of food and it's all processed. The mainstay in those smaller markets are, are a lot of times not really fresh produce. It's 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 very important in those areas that these com community gardens, you know, give back to the people in the area. Demetrius Mills, who is on the board of directors of the Brooklyn Queens Land Trust, said that community gardens in New York City are important to many neighborhoods and it, as it helps communities become more self-sufficient. He said that on some of the blocks, especially in the lower income areas, without a lot of investing coming in, people decided to do for themselves. Uh, he said the gardens really are the lifeblood of some blocks. They make home values go up. So there's a, even another, and they make the community safer. So those are two really important things. So most of the gardens, though, in New York City are the result of guerrilla gardens popping up. And Dr. Susan Rubin spoke about that to us to give us a little background. Guerrilla community gardens that are sprouting up. And what guerrilla gardening is, is gardening without permission. And actually, that's how all of the community gardens in the New York City area became gardens. Is the, you know, literally there were squatters that came and took over abandoned land in the 1980s in the South Bronx and the Lower East Side. That's where a lot of these gardens started because the land was abandoned because of economic collapse. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, you know, at, at the heyday, there were a thousand community gardens in New York City. Now they're down to about 500. And as always, these gardens are fighting to hold their space against developers, especially in lower Manhattan. You know, NYU has taken over so much real estate uh, a lot of community gardens have been lost. Basically, this is this is an act of resilience. As I said, in this interesting time we're at uh, with this pandemic, it's a healthy way to be outside, to be in the sun, to have our our hands in the soil. The soil, being connected with the soil, also helps build our gut microbiome. Okay, the organization of, of microorganisms in our intestinal system, in our digestive system, which is the base of our immunity. So again, I'm going to use Dimitri Mills, a, a quote. He stated that when you're in a garden and you're working, your mind just steps away from other stuff. You're not even thinking about what's going on in the outside world. It's just you and that dirt and those plants. 
Thank you, Max. That was great. Hello, Green Diva Ellie. Hello, Meg. So great to be with you. And Green Diva Lisa. (laughs) So nice to hear your voice. So tell us how Drawdown is, you know, how Drawdown will deal with the food supply issue. I would say that what Drawdown is sharing is the impact of food in terms of greenhouse gases, et cetera, and what the solutions are. Okay, so they don't say what to do, but rather share the impact, the the greenhouse gas emissions impact, and that what we can do to address it. Yeah, I'm going to talk about food first on the global level, and then we'll get down to the local level. And here are some important global numbers from the latest research of Project Drawdown. The sources of heat-trapping greenhouse gases that cause global warming and then the ensuing climate crisis that we must and will solve come from six factors. And here they are. These are the global numbers. 6% come from buildings, 14% transportation, 21% industry, 25% are you ready for this? Uh, No. Yeah, food. The sector of food and the agriculture and the land use associated with its production is 24% of the greenhouse gas emissions, which we must reduce. So human activity has transformed a significant amount of our planet's land for growing food, which often disrupts or displaces ecosystems. How can we reduce the pressure on ecosystems and land while meeting the growing demands for food worldwide? How can we do what we do on land better, tending it in ways that decrease emissions from agriculture? The answers to those questions are critical for reducing greenhouse gases, sustaining the planet's living systems, addressing food security, and protecting human health. It's all linked. It's all related. Of course it is. So there are many individual solutions, but I'll just talk about a couple areas that are huge, that address food, and that a family or an individual can do something about starting today. The first, adopt a plant-rich diet. Now, Project Drawdown defines that as An individual maintaining a 2,250 calorie per day nutritional regime to meet those daily protein requirements while decreasing meat consumption in favor of plant-based food items and three, purchasing food locally when available. The challenge of shifting to a diet rich in plants is that it runs counter to the meat-centric Western diet. But that diet, as we all know, comes with a steep climate price tag, one-fifth of global emissions. Listen to this statistic. If cattle were their own nation, they would be the world's third largest emitter of greenhouse gases. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Because of the methane, they because they're ruminants, they they burp. <laughs> People think it comes out the other end, but the methane <laughs> they burp it out. <laughs> and 
methane in its first 20 years is 84% more powerful than CO2 gases. And we know that the next 20 years, the next 30 years are vital to getting done what we need to get done. Yeah. So ask yourself this question, everyone listening. (laughs) What can I do to begin the process of adopting a plant-rich diet? Or if you're already doing so, inspiring others to do the same. I love like Meatless Monday, right? That was one way to just help educate people. We're not saying you have to go vegan. You have It's not extreme, but just reduce because just in yeah. reducing the amount of meat we eat or being more conscious when we do eat meat to make it local, happy cows outside, you know, all those various factors that make it a tiny bit better. Yeah. Those numbers yeah. are staggering just taking... Monday out of uh, meat out of Mondays. Right. Yeah, I don't have those in front of me, but I've seen them. Yeah. Can you imagine though if we sc- if we scale that up? We're what we're what three hundred and fifty million people just in this country. Can you imagine if every person would think about that and do something about it? Would make a huge impact. I love, you know, Zen master Thich Nhat Han said, making the transition to a plant based diet may be the most effective way an individual can stop climate change. You know, because people are always asking, what can I do? Right, right. This this is a huge issue that people just were kind of like, nah, that's okay. I'll I'll drive less. Uh, you know, I'm proud to say that that Wayne and Lisa and I here on our compound, yeah. uh, we eat very little meat, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, we well. have eggs and... Well, I, I've actually made a huge effort in my diet based on my health as well. And there's a lot of good reasons yeah. to, to get that meat out there of the There really diet. is like no harm. And there's so many ways to prepare vegetables and plant-based foods that are really delicious and can satiate that desire for that meaty flavor. In my opinion, I'm not really a huge meat lover. <laughs> She's so never been a meat lover. Me. I'm like, <laughs> so now they got Beyond Burgers. Great. Okay, fine. But I don't like them because they actually taste like meat. Which is why I like <laughs> Like, which is why I like them. I mean, my son has a barbecue restaurant, so I am in, I'm I'm really uh, have a fondness for meat. And I'm very proud of these companies that are making these big efforts like Beyond and Impossible. And, and they really do have a mission for the planet. Yeah. It's not just... Yeah, some are better than others, but yeah, it's all going in the right direction when we're yeah. thinking in terms right. of how do we reduce this and, and not right. feel, and you know... Nobody wants to feel deprived. I get it. But come on, man. Like a little tiny bit of sacrifice and shift for future generations. How hard is it? So here's how I approach that. This sense of being deprived is you just have to shift how you think about it. Change the story. And the story is I feel so much better when I don't eat so much meat. And the planet will be so much better if I don't eat meat as opposed to being deprived. It's like you are actually improving things. For yourself. Yeah. So if you're someone who eats meat every day, maybe try to reduce like at least take three days that you just primarily focus on plant-based foods. And I am guessing eggs aren't as horrible for the planet as meat is. And you might be able to get some good local cheese that isn't uh, too too awful or make your own. We're going to get goats and do do our own goat cheese here. I I think it's a matter of, of starting it's like going to the gym. 
Do you know what I'm saying? It's at a process. Kind of, at first, you kind of don't want to do it. And then you get, you feel so much better. Right? You mm-hmm. really do on multiple levels. And I also want to tip uh, the hat to uh, you were talking about these various companies that are creating plant-based sub- substitutes for me. I, I wanted to tip the hat to Burger King, for instance. I mm-hmm. would love, I would love to see these fast foods kinds of places offer something that is healthier mm-hmm. and not meat-based. If we can get that into the system too, and that's working. I mean, we're starting to shift the needle. Okay, so wait, wait, if we're talking about fast food, I just got to insert here. If more people demand these things, they will serve more. And the less we can order burgers from, let's say, McDonald's, and I think Burger King is probably right behind them. McDonald's gets most of their beef from South America. And these cattle ranches down there have taken over and they deforested. A, yeah, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. I'm, I'm with you. They're <sighs> deforesting in order to raise cattle, mostly for chains. So right. these meat, these meaty chains. So demand more veggie burger, whatever, plant based burgers, and save the rainforest. Who knew? <laughs> that that's exactly right. It's so. It actually does start with what you do as an individual, but then you can think, okay, but what where, what else can I do? And these companies, by the way, are profoundly impacted when you write letters. Write letters to the CEO. That makes a huge difference. Call up any of that sort of thing. Social media is huge. If you start calling out companies on social media yeah. on a regular basis and get the influencers to do so. And I think I think I will volunteer to do some homework and look look at uh, who these CEOs are and put them on our website when we where we show this story and people can look up and make it I'll try to make it easy for you. Yeah. And say thank you. Thank you for exactly. making an effort, man. That's I think that's so wise. I think in, in the same way that we need to demand uh, I think we also need to to say when we're grateful for the effort. I think we need to do both those things. And I love your report as always, Ellie. And I can't wait till I can see you again, hopefully soon. Like at least we can have a socially distant visit on the back deck. Yeah, now that the weather's great. Thank you so much for, you really do inspire me. I'm all jazzed up now and I'm gonna go look up those CEOs and write about it. You've been listening to The 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and The Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com.